Thanks for all that was done yesterday, for the race itself specifically. I know you can go ahead and go, yeah, yeah. I know that it was humbling to us when our children brought up this idea. I also know that lots of you helped to implement them as well. Yesterday was very special to us. I had a lot of you, community friends and virtual runners, celebrating with me and us. And like we all know about receptions, you see the guest of honor for only a short time, and then you get to enjoy everyone else while the activity continues and culminates. I loved seeing so many of you, observing lots of friends, seeing each other, watching new friendships develop, and then knowing and hearing that virtually there were many of our friends from our 42 years of ministry, as well as even some from Taiwan participating. As my time as an official staff pastor comes to a close, there are many emotions that I have. I know that when I first began preparing Candace's marriage entrustment speech, I only got through the first line before I started crying. So I found that I had to audibly review it 37 times before her wedding day. That held true for each of our children's weddings. Somehow 37 was the magic number. I've only gone through this 20 times, so I should be able to make it to the last few paragraphs. I'd like this evening to share a devotional thought from a phrase that has meant a lot to me through my life. Then I'll be presenting somewhat of a timeline of how the Lord has directed me in this truth. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles or follow on the screen, Genesis chapter 24. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you'll go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young women to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who, shall, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, 
Behold Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her. Sorry, I'm not emotional. <laughs> she said, uh, ran to meet her, and she uh, filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let her jar down upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence, probably should say amazement, to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels. And he said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about those things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels, and there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. The food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him, he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and I said, O oh Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also, let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink. 
and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us for a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent Rebekah their sister and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebekah. Let's take a short look back at this passage. First, Abraham wants his son Isaac to have a wife, but not from the region around, but from his homeland. Remember, Abraham had moved when God directed him, but he didn't want the Canaanite influence in his family. So he commands his servant, Eleazar, to find Isaac a wife. This takes arranged marriage to a new level, sight unseen except by his servant. In verse 7, you read how Abraham had faith that the God who led him away from his homeland would also lead his servant to find his son's wife. He was asking his servant to travel about 250 miles on a beast of burden for this task, because camels can travel about 25 to 30 miles a day. After the whole expanse of travel, he arrives at a spring outside of Haran, prepares himself to see how God is going to answer their prayer, Abraham and his. As only God could do, Rebekah is on her way to draw water for her family. It says she was carrying a water pitcher on her shoulder. It had to have been fairly large, probably a five-gallon container. Because remember, she was getting water for their household, and that water would last from that evening until the next evening when she would come get more. Eliezer asked her for water, like he had prayed, and she offers water to him. Then amazingly enough, like was mentioned in Not Just for Kids, she, wash, she offers water to the camels too. Then after that's done, she's asked by this stranger from what family she's from. Her answers must have been thrilling because there were no closer people than hers to marry into Abraham's family. So Eliezer gives her a nose ring. In that culture, it's like a promise ring or maybe even like an engagement ring and bracelets, and he follows her home. It's then she introduces him and he lets the family know why he's there. And they accept that right away. Being in the way, the Lord kept leading him and confirming his will for him. He shares his mission. They, being in the way, accept. Then they eat and spend the night. The next morning, the servant is ready to bring Rebekah to his master's home. Remember, 250 miles back on those same camels. He mentioned that it was time to take her with him, but they ask for 10 days before she leaves. Think of that. There was no lead up to this, no courtship, no preparation. Just this stranger shows up, 
asks for the daughter's hand in marriage, gives her a promise ring, so to speak, but not even to marry him, but his master's son. And after sharing that God has led him in this way, they agreed, and they, being in the way, say that if Rebecca's willing, then she can go with him. She, being in the way, agrees, and the rest of the story is fabulous as well, but we won't and can't take, and can't take that time to follow that account. For now, the thrust is that Abraham and Eliezer prayed for God to lead him in the way. And as he did, we can consider this for our own lives. I did, and I would like to share some of that with you as we conclude our ministry years here. Much of my formative years were spent away from my parents, whether through boarding school or attending college. I was always impressed with the thought of being in the way and the Lord leading me as a result. I didn't know what all that would look like, but if I was simply doing what God wanted me to do at that moment in my life, my being in the way would allow him to direct me further. It was hard leaving Taiwan and my many friends to come back to where I wasn't familiar. But being in the way was all I knew, so I went into college with the goal to be a teacher. One of the things I began praying later in my teen years was for my future. That directed me to change my major, which in turn allowed me to pursue the path that has brought me to this point. My college work scholarship was initially as a hallboy, cleaning the carpets and restrooms on my half of the floor of the dormitory. That later changed to my working at the information desk. That specifically helped in my life as I sought to serve people. Being in the way continued unfolding during my freshman year as my ride to Indiana at Christmas fell through. I went to English tutorial class, spoke with a friend, whom I later learned was in Susie's youth group, and he invited me to ride their church bus back at Christmas. I'm glad I did, for if I'd gone on my original ride, I would have never met her. Through the years, I had some difficult classes and circumstances. I even remember one time being so sick, throwing up in the locker room in the gymnasium, and I heard a young man shout out, I'm praying for you. During college, I still have this vivid memory of Drew and me, both presidents of our societies, standing attache cases in hand on the steps near the student center at Bob Jones University. I remember later with our young family visiting him as pastor down at Kennerly Road on our way to the coast for vacation. We were both in the way then. Little did I know that our paths would cross and be crossed for a very long time. Little did either of us know of the joys and sorrows our lives would encounter through the next 40 plus years, but we knew we had to continue to be in his way. As Susie's and my relationship continued to grow, I wondered if the Lord had missions in my future. With 15 of my first 18 years of life spent in Taiwan, I prayed about and considered if the Lord would have me to return there or perhaps somewhere else. Susie was willing and open to it, but the Lord didn't open that door, at least at that time. As a young married college senior, I was given my first ministry invite to teach at Calvary Baptist Schools in Pennsylvania, and I was excited about that until I realized there was no position for Susie. This was back in the letter writing days, so being in the way, I wrote and declined. One of the hardest letters I ever wrote. The Lord directed the principal to mention that to the present home economics teacher, and she responded that she was so relieved that she didn't have to keep teaching that class. <laughs> After teaching there for one year, I was asked to begin serving in the administration of the school. Being in the way led me to pursue a master's degree in educational administration to help with that request. No sooner had I finished those three summers and continued in the role of assistant principal in the school than Calvary asked me to come on their pastoral staff. Again, as I was in the way, the Lord led me to pursue seminary training, culminating in my advanced degree in counseling. During this time, I was coaching our varsity soccer and varsity girls basketball teams, teaching one class in the school and serving as assistant principal, staff pastor. Candace and Cassie had joined our family by then, 
In fact, after I completed my doctor of ministries, I was ordained, and during the reception for us, Susie was asked, where are we going next? She said, nowhere, and I concurred until my being in the way had a pastor friend from Indiana ask me to join their pastoral staff because of a crisis they were going through. That was a very hard decision to make, to leave our first 10 years of ministry, but while being in the way, God directed me and us to accept that position and move from Pennsylvania to Indiana. Susie was eight months pregnant with Cody at the time. We moved in November, and I almost felt like a young man in the Bible taking his pregnant wife on a donkey to Bethlehem, <laughs> being great with child. In fact, I was up early one mid-December morning working on the school handbook, and Susie came downstairs and said, we needed to leave for the hospital for our baby was coming. I had learned from Susie's pregnancy with Candace that when she said we needed to go, we needed to go. With Candace, I was out in the field driving a tractor, and when Susie's water broke at her work site, she came home looking for me. There were no cell phones then, so when she couldn't reach me on the phone, she drove the car right out onto the field and said we needed to go to the hospital. I initially said we would after I took the tractor back. Needless to say, she would have none of that. I left the tractor with our landlord right there, got in the car, and we drove to the hospital. Susie, to this day, says the Lord confirmed our being in Indiana by having our apartment's numeral address being 1219, for Cody was born on December 19th. While there, we saw the school grow, get out of debt, and we rounded out our family with Cody and then Caitlin. At the time, I thought being in the way had led us to Indiana to grow old there, until that unexpectedly closed and I was sending out resumes seeking our next ministry opportunity. For three months while I was candidating, I found temporary employment in construction and factory work. I have to admit, being in the way then seemed very confusing. I had come to Indiana to follow God's leading, and then this happened to me. That was probably my lowest time of our ministry years. We had a young family, thought we were faithfully serving the Lord, and then our direction and goals were seemingly denied us by men. But then we were offered the opportunity to come here, which we wouldn't have had if I had still been on staff at Suburban. Hampton Park was seeking an assistant for Pastor Yerrick. There were 10 items on the job description, with nine being ministry directives, counseling, missions, administration, and the 10th being whatever else the senior pastor wanted me to do. <laughs> that numeral was often encountered and fulfilled by him or by you. Through the years in the midst of serving on staff here, I have seen the Lord direct Candace and Cassie to ask me to write a parenting book, direct me to a book publisher, have me write three other books, which then became the source for many mission trips. I can still remember one of Candace's roommates and bridesmaids coming over from India for their daughter's graduation. While they were in our home, her dad asked what I did here at Hampton Park. When I rattled off some of my responsibilities, he said, we need counseling in India. So since India needed counseling, we took our first personal mission trip to Kerala, India to teach just that in Faith Baptist Bible College and Seminary. Soon after that, one of the graduated seminary students began teaching in Mumbai, and he asked if I would come to their school to teach as well. A man from Pakistan joined in the invite at the same time, and I next went to those two countries in one trip. Before long, using vacation time became our way of going on these mission trips. Through Hampton Park's vacation time and some congregants' gifts, we took those trips until we felt the Lord directing us to do this full time, all from being in the way. Some other experiences of being in the way, when we left Indiana, because it was so sudden, we left a rental agreement with someone who was going to buy our house. I was told later that was one of the stupidest moves, not having a hard sale. However, two and a half years later, on the same day we closed on that house in Indiana, we broke ground here on the same property where we lived in 1981. And the mobile home we lived in then was still on the site. I was told then not to run for six months and devote that time to that construction. 
as it was going to be our retirement home. That's been a blessing, and that directive is becoming clearer and clearer. I have loved serving here. Early on, I had three impressionable visits, which seemed to sum up pastoring. One, to visit and pray for a prematurely born baby who was in an incubator, then off to come confront someone who was in deep sin, and then to meet someone to encourage them during a difficult time, all in the span of three hours. Through the years, while being in the way, the Lord has brought us our four children into marriages, gifting them with our grandchildren. The Lord didn't fulfill that initial desire to go into missions as a young married man. However, now he has directed us through being in the way to be, among other things, your missions pastor these past years. That allowed me and us to visit missionaries when they came home on furlough, as well as on other respective fields. It also, along with the writing of these books, has allowed us to minister overseas in specific roles of leading marriage, parenting, and fitness seminars, along with counseling training. Through those ministries, the Lord has taken us to over 28 countries, and over a year ago burdened me to go into this global itinerant ministry full-time. Not only was that a strong desire, but there were men on staff voted in as role pastors in administration, missions, and as of January, counseling. I've shed many tears as staff pastor, tears of joy and sadness with what occurs in your lives. I've also shed them as I've reminisced on my time here in anticipation of this launch of Words Fitly Spoken. All the while from being in the way back as a college freshman up until now, God keeps leading and confirming our way. What our next years of ministry looks like is becoming clearer and clearer, but there are many unknowns as well. I'm just glad that we can keep being in the way. By both veteran missionaries and our mission board, we've been encouraged to split our annual ministry time into six months away and six months stateside, allowing us to prepare for and recover from those trips. If our first six months is an indicator, I'll need to refuse or postpone some invites. As of now in January, we'll be providing pulpit supply in London. While we are there, a couple will be coming to stay with us for a period of intense marriage counseling. Beginning February 9th, we get, leave again to travel to and lead three Valentine banquet and marriage seminars in Pennsylvania and Indiana. We leave again at the end of February to travel to and live in South Africa for March and April, where we will be living in and fulfilling the missionary role of a family that will be coming home on furlough. In May, Lord willing, I'll be in Brazil training counselors for a week, and then June has us in Germany for a time. Those details and opportunities are being solidified. I'm still trusting the Lord that we can help with pastoral training in Australia, along with counseling introduction and teaching in Norway, Uruguay, and Taiwan. We still have several marriage seminars on the horizon in Honduras, India, Nepal, Burma, Portugal, Poland, and Ghana, and perhaps leading a tour to visit Israel as well. During this year, you have graciously given us 60 days of vacation time to pursue our support needs. Our deputation travels have taken us to California, Colorado, Michigan, Montana, Pennsylvania, Utah, Virginia, and here in South Carolina. We've had a total of 12 church meetings, 15 intentional home presentation, and numerous one-on-one -on -one visits with pastors and friends. Prior to yesterday, we're just a bit over 50% of our needed support, and we have our trips paid for through May. As Hampton Park members, through the missions budget, you are already supporting us at $1,000 a month. In addition to that, if you'd care to partner with us individually, you can designate gifts through your offerings here or contribute them through EMU. We have prayer cards in the back, and Susie and I will be in the back when the service is over, and through the website, you can add your name to our prayer update and or sign up for financial partnership. I'm thankful that we can continue to count Hampton Park as our church home and Greenville as our resident home. While this is a retirement from Hampton Park, 
I'd rather call it resignation from this role in ministry as we continue to serve the Lord with words fitly spoken. I leave this time of serving with some of my dearest friends, your pastors and mine. The following is a poem about them and a final line to you. "'Twas the month of November, and it was this guy's last meeting. So he planned his thoughts, since many times they are fleeting. I wanted to think about the many of you men. I'm sure I'll think often of you now and then. First, there's Ted. His messages are on level. Until his presentations in electronics, there's the devil. <laughs> Our newest staff member, all goalies have hates. He's fast and he's funny. Watch out for Andrew Bates. Then there's our elder, whose languages are aglow. He's the pastor downstairs. They call him Pablo. This fellow's been around, Trinidad and Mongolia elude. He's fun-loving and serious. They call him Tim, grand dude. Our most recent doctor claims what's remembered long must come from our music. Fred says it is from song. Not sure when Drew stated, but it's changed our look. We've been taught to live our own life by the book. One of the eldest of the elders, but only in age of jurors. He leads the charge, Mike, Greenville's yours. Then one having five children makes our church better off, none other than our own administrative Ben Federoff. <laughs> Doug Garland has talents of preaching, praying, presiding, but he's also a builder in his own house residing. A young man who calmly guitar and singing not new, James helps with harvest happening, singing a lyric or two. We've had a Maranatha grad, one from a distant part. Some call him Joel, bless his gear heart. <laughs> then there's the one who on Eagle's Terrace, the fun-loving and serious James Daniel Harris. The one who keeps us steady, Brent meets with us one-on-one. -on -one. He enjoys his cycling, but only after his work is done. A soccer player and coach, he enjoys kicking from the corner. He works at the press too, it's none other than Paul Horner. Ken Jensen's a scholar and a bike rider, too, but he hurt his shoulder when over the handles he flew. This younger elder to our home came personally. He's a layman, no, a pastor. Yes, that's Cody. Our very own gentle giant has a calm and steady hand. Warren has ministered in Saipan and in our very own homeland. He joined our staff, it was a few years back, but now he's my pastor, counselor Dr. Steve Pack. Mr. Rod, as they call him, calculus and logarithms layer. He speaks Spanish well and is Puerto Rico's ping pong player. Matthew Weathers doesn't shy from anything that causes perspiration. He's a student leader as well, as he provides much inspiration. When it comes to children, young and even ones in diaper, Jonathan Wooster is sought, not John, but the Pied Piper. Terry Worley displays knowledge in Bible and computer. He rarely is seen without the pursuit of a greeter. Now, fellows and friends, pastors and pal, I've loved every, rem every minute remembering you I shall. And to you, congregants, thanks for your love and effectual fervent prayers to our Heavenly Father above. On Johnny and Susie, to regions not a few. I thank my God always of all remembrances of you. God bless you. Stay in the way.